Welcome to Learn or Be Learned. This is the podcast show where I read books and share how you can apply it to your life. And like a true anthropologist, I dig up stories on what people are up to and how that can impact you as well. Before we jump into episode nine, I just want to let you know that the normal outro is going to be replaced with Rodney Allen's music to share a little bit about how and what he does. And without further ado, let's just jump into episode nine. I'm your host, Shiva Danishaker, and let's do this. All right, so I'm here with AJ. How are you doing, man? Doing pretty good. How are you, bro? I'm good. I'm good. So, you know, we talked a little bit before this and we were talking about your music. I was wondering if you could share a little bit about what you do, what you're currently up to. Yeah, so uh, uh, I go by the stage name Rodney Allen. Okay. It's actually my real name. My mm-hmm. my full name is Rodney Allen Snoxville Jr., so I just took Rodney Allen. Mm-hmm. just wanted to be original whenever I was coming up with a name, and I figured the most original you can get is your actual name. Yeah. And uh, I've been making music since about 2015, early 2016. Okay. And uh, like I was telling you earlier, it just kind of started off just messing around with some friends, uh-huh. just trying to find something good to do, mm-hmm. fun to do. And uh, it turned into a lot more. And whenever I ended up becoming serious about it and ended up meeting Jay and like mm-hmm. realized that you can actually take your sound so much more. He showed mm-hmm. me how to get it on like DistroKid. And then yeah. after DistroKid, you can get on Spotify, Apple Music and all that. And once your music is actually on all platforms, you feel like you're more of an established artist than mm-hmm. that. And uh, that's kind of where I'm at right now. I have one EP out that has three songs on it. That was my own biggest fan EP yeah. that came out in September 20th of this year. And then after that, I've dropped three songs since then. Uh, once a month, I just drop a new song. It can be anywhere from like melody to just straight just straight rapping, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I try to keep it mixed up so that way I can get new fans yeah. regardless of what kind of rap they like to yeah. listen to, you know. So, so you said you're... You said you have like 60,000 monthly listeners, right? Yeah. So right now it has dropped a lot. Uh, Spotify fluctuates a lot. Uh, The most listens I have is I'm at about 65,000 streams. Wow. Uh, This month I only did about 2,000 listeners, but I did generate about 10,000 streams this month Mm -hmm. uh, from those 2,000 listeners, which is amazing Mm because that means that they're listening more than once, which is definitely what you want. You Mm -hmm. want people who will listen a few times. Uh, so yeah, and that's, that was mind blowing for me whenever I first dropped that, uh, EP. The reason it being called my own biggest fan is because that was my first time ever dropping like something that I was proud of, you mm-hmm. know? And regardless, I had that mindset of, I don't care if anybody listens to this. I love this music. I will listen to yeah, it, you know? It's a good mindset. And you got to have that mindset whenever mm-hmm. you're doing anything that people might look down on or mm-hmm. might not agree with or might not like in mm-hmm. general. And so you just got to be your own biggest fan sometimes. And then yeah. whenever I started promoting it, I started doing Instagram ads. I started putting ads out on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Uh, I started submitting to hip hop and music blogs, Spotify yeah. playlisting. Yeah. And I would have never imagined that in like two months I had 65,000 people that listened to me. Wow. Right? So you went from zero to 65,000 yeah. in two months. So what was that like growth curve like? Was it slow starting off? It was for the first like three weeks. I had maybe two hundred plays, but mm-hmm. then I landed one of my first Spotify playlists, mm-hmm. and I can't remember which one it was, but that one took me to about five thousand plays. And then from mm-hmm. there, those people started listening more than once, mm-hmm. and then I got another Spotify playlist. I ended up in about three or four, and uh, all of those generated about five to ten thousand listeners, and then. I would say over half of those listeners listened more than once, which was pretty amazing. Of yeah, that. yeah. So, 
you you got to sixty five thousand, and I think we talked about this earlier. You said you did like marketing and stuff to really mm-hmm. push that. So I guess someone who's listening that's kind of starting off or about to start off, what would you suggest they do to get their music? I guess how to get it on Spotify, how to you know grow their fan base, um, push their music out, actually get people to see it. Yeah. So the simplest way to get your music out is mm-hmm. through a distributor. So that's going to be like DistroKid, TuneCore. Those are the only ones that I can think of off the top of my head. There's mm-hmm. other ones like uh, uh, CD Baby, things okay. like that. And you really got to look because a lot of them have different uh, things. So like I know that TuneCore, I'm pretty sure you have to pay every time that you release it, but it stays on there forever and you get to keep all of your royalties. I chose DistroKid because it was cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, you get to keep all of your royalties and there's just a bunch of different little things that you can do with DistroKid that I really liked. It really just depends on what your budget is, mm-hmm. what you're wanting to do. I can't remember which one it is, but there is one where you can actually uh, submit to your music to be on like 2K mm-hmm. and stuff like that, which oh, is pretty wow. cool. But I went with DistroKid, so I ended up putting it on there, and that's probably the easiest way. It costs like 40 bucks, mm-hmm. and then your music is on all platforms, and that's the best way to start. SoundCloud is obviously where everybody goes to at the beginning mm-hmm. uh, simply because it's free. Yeah, and yeah. You know, everybody puts their music, every rapper has put their music yeah. on SoundCloud, you know? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then it just comes to marketing. So you want to start off with the people that you know first, the people that you know will listen to it. Mm-hmm. And so you send it to all your friends and then you ask them to send it to their friends. And mm-hmm. then that alone can get you at least like 100 people to listen to it. And if you can get 100 people, you can get 200. You just got to keep thinking of like, I like to think of it by tens, right? So if yeah. I can get 10 people to listen to my music, and then they get 10 people to listen to my music, you mm-hmm. got 100 people. Yeah. So you just got to think of it like that. And then from there, you can go Instagram ads. You can spend $5 on Instagram and have 3,000 people look at your song. Mm-hmm. And at that point, you at least have them in your visual, you know. And then the key is to get them to listen to it. So you want to keep saturating the market with your name. Mm-hmm. You know, you want them to see your name once. And even if they're like, okay, I mean, that's cool. You mm-hmm. want them to see your name again and be like, okay, I heard that last time. I might yeah. actually check it out. And then it might take three or four times. But if they hear your name enough, they're going to at least listen yeah. one time. Yeah, you know, no, for sure. Um, I like how you say monthly listeners because what you, what you want to create is like a true fan base because mm-hmm. those people will tell other people. Mm-hmm. And that's how you truly grow. That's, I guess, in the realm of marketing, that's that's the free cheapest way to get marketing, right? Yeah. Is to get true loyal fans that actually like what you do mm. um as opposed to saying like oh you know i get i have like two hundred thousand listens is yeah that's a lot but you know how many of those people really do listen monthly yeah and, and how many of those people like? save that song mm-hmm. into their playlist how many people of those those people followed you mm-hmm. you know and it's not going to seem like a lot but followers are hard to come by sometimes mm-hmm. you know and then saves is another big thing. I have over half the people that listen to my music save my song, mm-hmm. but I only have a hundred followers, you know, yeah. people who actually were like want updates on my music. Yeah. So they might save my song to a playlist, but that doesn't even at that point, it doesn't mean that they're devoted enough to listen to my music and get it updates mm-hmm. on it, you know. So would you say subscribers and followers is probably the biggest yeah follow you want to gain followers so if you have people that are willing to get updates on your music or even whatever you do you could do art you could dance you could do tiktok whatever you do if you don't have people that want to get updates on Mm -hmm. it every day every week then you're still doing that same thing of trying to find those people who want that and so you got to get those people who see it every day and then we'll show people every day or just have somebody looking over their shoulder and be like who's that who's that guy yeah yeah 
No, I liked how earlier we were talking about how we would hate to be like a one-hit wonder. Exactly. Because when you when you start off with, let's say you get like 100 million listens mm. and you have hella followers, then now you have this expectation to put up and you don't really know what you're doing yet. You're still getting your foot in the door and, and now you have this huge expectation to deliver mm. and make sure your next song or your next episode or whatever you're doing is just as good, if not better. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you start losing people quick and, and then you're once again, nobody knows who you are again. So yeah. I really liked how we talked about that and how like the journey is the most important part because that's how you grow and that's how you really develop into someone who's gets what one hit wonders get, mm-hmm. but consistently. Yeah. See, and I think a lot of the the best part of the journey is you have the opportunity to fail. Mm-hmm. If you're a one hit wonder, you don't have the opportunity to fail because you're at this height in your career and you want to maintain it so bad mm-hmm. that you will do almost anything to keep it, right? So you don't have the chance to experiment. We were talking about that, experimenting with your music, yeah. experimenting with your flow, whatever it might be. You don't have that chance mm-hmm. because you now have something that people like and they want to hear that again. They don't want to hear you go from rap music to pop music no, or exactly. rock music. They want to hear you exactly how you were on that song or they mm-hmm. don't want to hear it anymore. And so you have that opportunity to fail mm-hmm. uh, while you're on your journey. And you will fail. Most mm-hmm. people do fail. Uh, not everybody can blow up overnight and that mm-hmm. sucks, but it's the journey that will that'll actually teach you what you want to be with your career, who mm-hmm. you want to be, how you want to do it, you know. No, I agree. I actually talk about this quote all the time where this lady uh who was like became really successful, she she was in an interview and she's talking about how her dad every day after school would be like, What did you fail at today? Mm-hmm. And that's like a really weird question, right? You're like, Well, that sounds really negative and whatnot. But the reason he'd ask that question is because he would say, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. Mm-hmm. And if you're not trying hard enough, you're not you're not growing mm-hmm. as a person. I think failing has such a negative connotation. But if you really want to, you know, develop and, and enjoy the journey, you're gonna get you're gonna get bruised a few times. You're gonna fall. But I think that's the I think that's the best part for someone who really enjoys what they do. That is the best part because you grow from that and you see over time. I'm sure you you've only you said you only started about two months ago and like dropping it on spotify and stuff right so i'm sure in these two months you've seen such growth from what you knew when you first started when you dropped your first song or when you started recording your first song Mm. even so i think that's really cool so even in the past few months i've seen my share of failures like with the whole ep i ended up surpassing like anything that i thought would be imagined right Mm -hmm. Sixty-five thousand listeners right and since then i've seen it drop down significantly significantly Mm -hmm. uh, to just over a couple thousand at some points and it's like okay what do I need to do better what do I need to do to get back to that height and it's not it's almost like chasing the dragon is what they call it it's like you want that high again of like okay I feel like I'm on top of the world like yeah I feel like my music's really blowing up I can do anything and it's Mm -hmm. like you just want to constantly be chasing that with failures you go through a lot even whenever you're first starting out and it sucks because mm-hmm. whenever you're starting out it feels like everything's like against you you know yeah. but i went from having no followers no streams no nothing mm-hmm. like that to in a just a span of a couple months having sixty-five thousand, which is a lot like mm-hmm. i can't wrap my mind around the fact that sixty-five thousand people actually listen to my song right and then to go from that to in the past couple of months only having like plus 2000 listeners 
Mm-hmm. It feels like a failure, but it's like, okay, what do I need to do that to get me back to that that platform that I felt like I was on, right? Mm-hmm. And it's not even necessarily that I failed. It's just, what do I need to do, right? And I feel like that alone pushes me even more to want to get to that level again. And I feel like failing, fa- failing actually gets you to a point where you really think about, is this what you want? Is this what you want to do? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is yes, every time you fail, then you know that that's what you're meant to do. And that's what mm-hmm. you need to do to have a happy life yeah. and be successful because it's those people who fail a couple of times and they're like, Oh, I don't know if I want to do this mm-hmm. anymore. It's like, okay, well then you might want to find something different yeah. because if you can't handle failing, then is it really a passion for you? You know? Yeah, exactly. I think it helps you see what you really like to do, but mm-hmm. I also think it's a mind mindset thing, right? So if you fail at everything and you give up on everything, then mm-hmm. that's just a mindset thing. So you have to, I think, embrace failure, but also sense, is this failure, is this obstacles to overcome, the years of input I might have to do, really worth it. Yeah. That's how you kind of test your patience. Yeah, and it's looking at it from other people's mm-hmm. uh, experiences. So if you look at... I look at other artists, I'm like, okay, did they fail this hard? Like, mm-hmm. did did they want to do it this bad? And every artist that has made it, and they've always talked about, like, okay, I was doing this for three years. And, mm-hmm. like, like, I use Russ as a great example because he's one of my inspirations when it comes to his story and, like, mm-hmm. how he blew up. Like I was telling you earlier, he dropped a song a week for, like, 80-plus weeks before he blew yeah. up. And I'm sure he felt like he was failing at some points. But now he's making millions of dollars doing what he loves mm-hmm. because he didn't let those failures get to him. He just kept approaching it different ways every time mm-hmm. to get to that platform that he wanted to be at. And he made it, mm-hmm. you know. And so there's just so many different people that didn't like 50 Cent didn't blow up until he was in his 30s. Lil Wayne mm-hmm. didn't blow up until his 30s. You don't have to do it overnight. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a TikTok sensation. You don't have to be a one hit wonder. You can keep working at it. And if it happens that way, like just be ready for what's there. And that, like I said, the journey is what will prepare you for what's mm-hmm. there whenever you finally do blow up. Yeah. The best part is, you know, after that struggle, after you learn and you got some success under your belt, you can now use that money that you have to blow up to now further your passions along mm-hmm. and, and really develop your skills and hone in on the parts that are your strong suit and then mm-hmm. pay others to do what you really like what you lack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, that's what I had to learn a lot uh, whenever I first met Jay is that whenever I first started rapping, like I was telling you earlier, I hated the way I was mixing my voice. I hated mm-hmm. the way that my music sounded. And it wasn't just because I'm not good. It was because I just don't know what I'm doing when it comes to yeah. mixing vocals. I'm not an audio engineer by any mm-hmm. means. And I applaud the people who can do their own audio mm-hmm. and make it sound good. But I'm just not one of those people, especially because I don't like to use heavy auto tune. Mm-hmm. I like to add different melodies to make the accent my voice if Mm -hmm. that makes sense so whenever i finally found somebody that can actually like help me with that it changed my whole perspective on music and like my voice and like what i can do as an artist because whereas i was only doing like songs that i knew i could handle whenever it came to mixing now i'm doing crazy songs where i'm Mm -hmm. actually singing and stuff because i know that he will mix it well enough and do his job which he's really good at in yeah. order to do those things. And, and I'm sure you've seen that your your quality and content, mm-hmm. like now you have more time to focus on what you actually produce mm-hmm. um, instead of focusing on the, the edits and the stuff yeah. that you're not good at and it's taking too long anyways. And I think that's applicable to just about anything you do if you're doing businesses and, and you can't, you know, 
you don't want to be the jack of all trades and mm-hmm. you don't want to try to master everything you need to and that might be how you have to start out you might have to do everything but it won't be the best but if what you do and your passion you know precedes you over time you'll finally be able to you know delegate the stuff you're not good at mm-hmm. which i think is great yeah i like i live, really love to watch the show the, sorry i really love to watch the show shark tank right mm. and that's what a lot of those people talk about is like they have this huge business they started it from the ground up they were doing everything but even they still some of them weren't good at marketing some of them good weren't, weren't good at like uh drawing attention uh advertising like these mm-hmm. different things and so they going into a panel full of people who know how to do all that stuff and they're asking for help. Mm-hmm. And I think that's crazy because you you know that you have this business that can make you millions of dollars. You know mm-hmm. you you know you know that you have this, mm-hmm. but you just need help and everybody needs that, yeah. right? Cuz mm-hmm. you can't be good at everything. Mm-hmm. And so I think if you are focusing on the things that you're not good at, it doesn't help you evolve the things that you are good at because you're too busy trying to better yourself for things that you aren't good at and you could hire people to be who are good at it. Yeah, know? exactly. I see those tattoos. What, what are they? Are they anything special behind the stories? Mm, uh, on my arm, not really. Uh, uh, on my arm, it was just a bunch of cool stuff. So I have this one on my arm is kind of special. Uh, so it's like, for those of you who are listening, it's a scene of like aliens in the desert and like UFOs and they're like abducting people and like uh-huh. killing people. Um, and it's in Arizona on Route 66, right? Mm-hmm. So my grandma took me on a trip through through route 66 and that was like my first big vacation we took like two and a half weeks driving from arkansas to california only using route 66 and we stopped at like all the major spots it was super cool then whenever we got back from california we ended up taking a trip to north carolina to see some family so my entire summer i drove like all the way across the united states Mm -hmm. and then i went through like so many crazy places that (laughs) it was just amazing and uh one really cool thing about Route 66 is uh, the movie Cars yeah. is 100% based off of it. And I yeah. don't think people realize a whole lot of that. Like the Cozy Comb Motel, uh-huh. uh, I actually have pictures we stayed at. The TP Motel is what it actually is. Uh-huh. And it's these hotel rooms that are like in the shape of teepees. Oh, and that's okay. what they base that off of. And mm-hmm. then uh, the car Sally on Cars, I met the woman that they base that off of. She owns a diner out there. Really? Yeah. And, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. It was really, really cool. Yeah. Uh-huh. I got to meet her. And uh, like Radiator Springs, that's a real place. Uh, I did not know that. Yeah. No, it's that. really cool. Yeah. Whenever I get to show people pictures of that, I'll probably show you some. But yeah. Yeah. You got it. It was it was really dope. It was a really cool mm. experience. And that was my first time actually getting like out of Arkansas and seeing stuff. That yeah. was my first time in California. It was amazing. Mm-hmm. It was super cool to see all those sites. I really like driving opposed to flying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've never been on a flight, so I can't really. I'm a little biased, but <laughs> yeah. uh, I love driving. So if I'm going anywhere, I want to drive it so that way I can stop at all the different mm-hmm. places in the different towns and stuff. Mm-hmm. You said you had some other topics you wanted to touch base on. Yeah. So I know that you're really into like religion and whatnot. Isn't yeah. that what you're majoring in? Yeah. 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 So I'm anthropology and religion. There's... Have you, you've heard of DMT, right? You mm-hmm. watch Joe Rogan, I'm sure. Of course, yeah, uh, yeah. And he's always talking about DMT. So my theory on it, and I would love to get your input. So DMT is, I've done a lot of research on it. And mm-hmm. it's like, they call it the spirit molecule because it's the one molecule that every living thing, plants, bugs, everything mm-hmm. has the two protons or whatever. I'm not sure what the exact word would be, but they have the two things that create DMT in their bodies. Right. Okay. So that's what connects every living thing is DMT. Mm -hmm. Right. 
scientists say that it's released three times in your brain naturally. So whenever you're born, because of the amount of pain that you go through, you're tripping on DMT whenever you're born, right? Mm -hmm. It floods your brain and protects the proteins, protect your brain whenever you're born. Whenever you dream, uh, that's another time that they think that the pineal gland releases DMT and that's what produces dreams. Um, And then whenever you die. So mm-hmm. the proteins flood your brain whenever you die. And that's why people say they see like their life flash before their eyes or they have mm-hmm. like weird hallucinations right before death. Mm-hmm. So my theory on it is I think that every religion is real because whenever you die and that DMT floods your brain, mm-hmm. um, you're tripping, right? So you're okay. seeing things that you wouldn't normally see. You see things that you can't make up, mm-hmm. you know? And so if you're raised Christian or Catholic or whatever God you praise for your entire life, right? So let's just take Christianity because it's like one of the most well-known ones. Uh, you believe that you're going to go to heaven right after mm-hmm. that, right? If you're, if you're saved and you're a good person and whatnot. Uh, and you're raised your entire life thinking, okay, this is my moment to die. I'm going to go be with God. So who's to say that whenever you start tripping, your life flashed before your eyes those proteins flood your brain. Mm -hmm. And then what happens after that? My theory is that you just trip whatever you believe was going to happen. So if Mm -hmm. you're a Christian, you just start tripping that you're seeing heaven. Mm -hmm. And so if you're Buddhist or Hindu or, or like you believe in Nirvana or whatever, you reach Nirvana or Mm -hmm. that's how ever there's so many different religions. And it's not because one is real it's because all of them can be real mm-hmm. right and i know yeah. that sounds a little crazy but yeah, no, no, i get that i yeah. think that your brain can show you whatever you want to see mm-hmm. right and so if you do a lot of research on dmt you hear all these crazy trips or like ayahuasca so it's basically mm-hmm. dmt but you're tripping for like 45 minutes mm-hmm. instead of just like 15 so you see all these crazy things right so who's to say that whenever you die you don't your DMT doesn't make you see heaven mm-hmm. or DMT doesn't make you see nirvana or you believe in reincarnation. You might have a whole nother life mm-hmm. while you're tripping or just crazy stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I think happens. Cause there's no way that all that DMT floods your brain and just nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Like you just see your life flash before your eyes. I mm-hmm. don't think that that could be real, but I think there's a, so a few points, right? So I think first I, I hold this theory. I think that religion was potentially started because of drugs mm-hmm. you know humans have this unique theory of mind meaning they're able to empathize and think in other people's shoes and you need a theory of mind in order to believe in religion mm-hmm. that's why you might not see animals you know praying to a god yeah it's because we have a theory of mind there is a chance that religion contributed to i mean sorry drugs contributed contributed to religion and I actually took this neuroscience in religion course. Mm-hmm. So how is religion acquired in your brain? And I, I'm glad you mentioned DMT because it also points to the fact that, you know, drugs affect the mind mm-hmm. and our mind is what produced these beliefs that we have. Mm-hmm. So to think that DMT only solidified what you already believe mm-hmm. at times of, you know, near death experience or birth. Maybe not even birth because, you know, you weren't like society didn't push you to already exactly, believe in yeah. religion. So that's why at the later stages of life, you might have a religious, I guess, trip or something. Mm-hmm. Right. So, yeah, I think that's completely plausible what you're saying. I really think yeah, DMT, you said the, the penal gland, right, mm-hmm. which is where when you're dreaming and that's that makes a lot of sense to me. I really think so. Um, the way the drugs affect your brain. 
And what I learned in neuroscience in religion class is that we have these factors that basically contribute to the way that we acquire knowledge. So we kind of put them into, so they're, I forgot the name they used, but they're basically almost like, let's say just boxes Mm -hmm. of what you know and don't know. And as you, or let's say like a tree trunk, the more you learn on that certain category, the the tree expands. Mm-hmm. You might know what an animal is versus not an animal, right? So this microphone will, is not an animal. Yeah. But then you learn what a horse is. Then you see a donkey for the first time, which kind of looks like a horse, but then you realize they're different. Um, and then that slowly expands on what you understand as an animal and not. And that's kind of what, you know, public school tries to do is they try to help you build this foundation of education. Mm-hmm. And, and another interesting category is is spirituality, is is religion. So I think drugs might contribute to the fact that we believe in a religion and and DMT probably exacerbates what you already believe. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, a really cool study to check out if you want to learn more about it is uh, mm-hmm. the Rick Strassman trials, right? Okay. So they have, uh, it's called the Spear Molecule. It's on YouTube. You can check it out. It's about mm-hmm. a little over an hour long. But uh, Dr. Rick Strassman was the first doctor approved by the u.s government to do trials on the effects of dmt right Mm -hmm. and one of the things that really got me thinking about what happens with the dmt after we die is because they say that nobody died during the trials right Mm -hmm. but somehow they know exactly how much dmt it would take to overdose right and die yeah so it's like if you're tripping so hard Mm -hmm. that you die from it do you just stop tripping Mm -hmm. what would happen after that and so that really got me thinking i was like there's no way that you go from having the craziest trip of your life to just nothing, right? Or heaven or whatever Mm -hmm. your afterlife might be. So that's what got me thinking about like, okay, what if they just never stop tripping? Their body shut down. Because whenever you take DMT, from what I've read, is there's been side effects such as people like forgetting how to breathe, quote unquote, right? And it's because your brain is so focused on what's happening right now that it stops... Do you know what it's called whenever like you're breathing or like your heart's beating? It's some type of involuntary movement. So like whenever you're breathing, it's like an involuntary thing, right? So you don't have to tell your body to breathe. You don't have to tell your heart to beat, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And so your brain is so focused on it that it forgets that it needs to breathe, Mm -hmm. right? It forgets that it needs your heart to beat. So I feel like whenever you overdose, it's on DMT. It's not because you're dying and it's killing you. It's because your body is simply not worried about breathing anymore it's not worried about beating your heart it's worried Mm -hmm. about what's happening inside your brain and so i don't me personally i don't think that it would just stop all of Mm -hmm. a sudden right Mm -hmm. so you go past this stage of like uh just blasting off is what they call it whenever you actually have a dmt trip and it's it's insane to think about and like the Mm -hmm. research on it i would definitely check out the rick strassman trials because some of those people talk about like their experiences and whatnot Mm -hmm. and it's just really insane to think about like that the human mind has that kind of ability in it. So one of the off kind of off another subject. So whenever I was doing my research, I came across this one lady who was talking about her ayahuasca trip, which ayahuasca is the same thing as DMT. It just, it makes it longer, Mm -hmm. right? Makes it longer and more intense. And this lady was talking about how she went to this tribe in the Amazon and uh, she took ayahuasca and she said that she felt her body be sucked down into hell and she spent what she felt like was two years in hell, right? Ooh, wow. And she was just every day fighting with the devil, telling the devil that she's a good person, mm-hmm. telling her that she doesn't deserve to be there and whatnot. And she ended up getting in what she called like a screaming match with the devil one day where she was saying that she deserves to be in heaven and 
blah, blah, blah. And the devil said that he would give her one more chance. Mm -hmm. And then she woke up. Like Mm -hmm. she came to back alive and she completely switched her entire life Mm -hmm. to following Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's insane to me that she, because whenever you hear all these people, when they're talking about DMT, you feel it. Like, it's not like whenever you take acid or something where it's like subconscious, like you're still awake and you still have some movement in your brain going on. It's like, it completely consumes you. Right. And so you have no sense of time, no sense of, Mm -hmm. uh, anything really and it's just crazy that you're in this present moment right and Mm -hmm. you feel everything that you're feeling she really thought that she was arguing with the devil Mm -hmm. she really thought that she was stuck in hell and then just to come back from that that's going to change somebody's life right Mm -hmm. and so i think it's a really life-changing thing and it's crazy to think about that we every single human has that sitting in their brain Mm -hmm. and it's just whenever it wants to be triggered it gets triggered you know yeah no definitely i think like you said with the DMT, it sounds like she had some internal struggles that, mm-hmm. that came to light. And like you said, with the whole, uh, it helps you the with the pain of, mm-hmm. you know, being born and dying. I think DMT would really, and there's a reason, you know, our bodies produce this at that moment is to aid us in those moments. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is your mind is flooded and busy doing something else and not occupying the pain that you feel mm-hmm. right before you die. And then I guess the weirdest thing is to think what exactly happens after life, right? I was like, I was watching this thing about uh, dimensions. Mm. So, you know, we one dimension is just anything linear. Time mm. is one dimensional. Basically, you know, it's it's like a straight line linear. And then two dimension is, you know, like a piece of paper or something, right? Like a if you draw a square on a paper that's two dimensional. Um and the and the way you make dimensions is so you take a stick and then you take another stick and make it 90 degrees. That's two dimensions. You take a third straight, a stick and make it 90 degrees to both of those. And that's three-dimensional, mm-hmm. right? So you got the X, Y, and Z planes, and that's the world we live in. Space is three-dimensional. But to fathom, there, there is believed there's more dimensions than that. Yeah. So to fathom that, right? So the universe is said to possibly be even up to seven dimensions. And that's where the whole the theory about the you know parallel universe is yeah. and and. And it just gets crazy, like this, like quantum physics and all this stuff, right? So they're saying like every choice you make creates this new, like alternative path to mm-hmm. life. So it's almost like the Schrodinger cat thing, right? So you have, you don't know if the cat's alive or dead, but you only know one side of the, so you open the box and you only know one, like reality. Yeah. So before, so it's like, okay, so let's take the cat, right? So the box is closed. You don't know if the cat is dead or alive. There's like this, um, radioactive thing in it mm-hmm. and there's like a switch that either turns it on or off so you don't know if the cat's dead or alive and when you have the box closed you're still in this one reality then you open it now there's the reality splits into two one reality where you see the cat alive and the other where you see it dead so that's why this whole like every decision creates this another alternative universe and that's where like the idea of like seven dimensions and like all the that butterfly stuff. yeah butterfly yeah, yeah. effect yeah exactly yeah you know, and I think dr- drugs might even uh, could help you understand the idea of that. Yeah. Um, maybe hallucinogens or DMT, and and it's really that's what makes it even weirder to understand what afterlife is. Exactly. Because if the, if life is so intricate to the point where we have alternative universes or multi dimensions, then what exactly happens when that all stops? Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's why I think. I mean, everybody says it's the one question that nobody knows, but everybody's mm-hmm. going to have to figure out one day, right? So I actually used to be terrified of dying, right? But then I just started thinking about it, like everybody has to die, right? Everybody's got a day. 
And uh, so the more time you spend worrying about that, the less time you have living your life. But Mm -hmm. it's just crazy to me to think about the fact that we have all these different things that we can do to our brain that change our perception of reality. Mm -hmm. And everybody's living in a different reality, right? Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's just insane. Like just putting, you will never have this, you'll never perceive something the same way as somebody else, right? Mm -hmm. So like, let's say me and you both see a picture of something, Mm -hmm. right? I will never in a million years think the exact same thing and or feel the exact same way you feel about that. It could be similar. It could be very close. We could even think like, oh, that's cool. But like, I will never feel it exactly how you felt it or I will never see it exactly how you saw it. Mm-hmm. And every person is like mm-hmm. that. And part of that is because the life experience you had to that point is what exactly. shaped the way you see it. So let's say we see this picture and then we're both like, oh, that looks like a butterfly. But the way I came to that conclusion and the way you came to it is might have been totally, developed yeah, yeah. in a different way. And that's why I really like doing these podcasts, man. I like, like, like you said, everyone's life is different. And I really want to hear all these people's stories because, I mean, you only have one. Mm-hmm. So one crazy thing mm-hmm. uh, that really got me, uh, whenever I started thinking about it, got me into like doing more research about DMT. So my mom and I, whenever I was in third grade, I believe, which was... Like the year before I met you, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Uh, we got into a car wreck, right? It was me, my little brother, and my older brother. You told me that a long time yeah. ago. Mm-hmm. And my mom actually died in it. Like she had to be revived and everything. Wow. Like she actually flatlined, died, right? Wow. And she says that whenever we got hit, she ended up going into this like very open white space, right? Um, very peaceful. She didn't feel any pain, anything like that. And she was talking to her aunt, right? And just a little foresight, her aunt died when she was like four or five, right? She was talking to her perfectly normal, like didn't think anything of it, right? And then whenever she actually woke up, she was in a coma for, I believe, like a week. I think it was medically induced coma for like a week. Mm -hmm. Whenever she actually woke up, she looked to my aunt, her sister, and she said that Aunt Deborah says hi. And my aunt just started crying. Like you could see it on her face that like she knew that, my mom died at one point, you know, mm-hmm. because I don't know, it was just crazy to me. And I was wow. like, what caused that? Right. Yeah. And so whenever I started getting into DMT more, I started talking to my mom about it more. And like, just the things that she described sounds so much like a DMT trip from mm-hmm. what I've read and whatnot. And mm-hmm. like all the different interviews I've seen about people doing it. I was just like, that's insane that like, yeah. just that split second, she went from driving a car to talking to her aunt mm-hmm. that was dead. And it was just, like, that's so crazy that this little experience, this little gland in our yeah. head has so much power to change our complete reality on everything. And it just sits there and just sits there and you never know when it's going to come. Yeah. It could be while you're sleeping. It could be while you're dying, but you always have this yeah. drug in your head and you can't get rid of it. You know, that's weird. I have a question for you. Yeah. Okay. So would you rather live a normal life, uh, a life in reality, or would you rather be induced in this coma and live multiple lives so like you live a life and then start over and and this is all because you're hooked up to some machine and you get to just keep living life again and again and again what would you rather have do i get to pick the circumstances like what uh do i have to quit my life right now to do it yeah so the minute you hook up to that machine you are now giving up your reality to live in that machine and let's say you get to live like five lives five life lengths and after that you you die either way 
Okay. And then whenever I'm hooked up to the machine, do I know whenever I wake up that I, or am I just like completely unaware? Yeah. You're, you're unaware. Man, I don't know. Theoretically, that sounds awesome because yeah. you could just like fix all the mistakes that you want. But if you don't know, yeah. then you you could just make the same mistakes again, right? Mm-hmm. But you get five lives. Yeah. I don't know. Only because you would feel like going into it, you could make the perfect life, right? Mm-hmm. Like you could live the perfect life. You could do everything right. But who's to say that that's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. So why not just take the chance with the life that you have now and know that this is the only life you get mm-hmm. and just make that life the life that you want it right mm-hmm. and i feel like that's like a good thing to live by but that would also still be like super sick like mm-hmm. do you watch rick and morty <laughs> yeah of course yeah have yeah, you yeah. ever seen uh, uh what's the game that they play uh the one where they hook up to the arcade and, yeah. and morty lives an entire life cycle yeah. and from birth to death and yeah. then he gets he like awakes up from the arcade what's the, machine what's the name of it uh I can't remember, but no. it's super he starts funny. crying because yeah. he's like crying. he's like I just died. Yeah, like, he's like you went back to the you went back to the hardware store yeah. after you beat cancer. Yeah. That's lame. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think you got the right idea. Honestly, in my opinion, I think you know the idea of five lives sounds great, but it's almost like having a plan B. Mm-hmm. You're not going to live your first one to your fullest potential because you know yeah. you got the other lives, and and I think it's almost like the whole cliche YOLO thing. You only yeah. got one life, so. Yeah, I definitely think what what you said is, um, I think we're on the same page with that yeah. one. Mm-hmm. Well, AJ, I, I really enjoyed this talk, man. This was a great experience. I yeah, yeah. I'm, gl- I'm glad you're here. I appreciate you being on the show. Yeah, it was good seeing you again. Yeah, man. dude, of course. Grandiloquent, grandiloquent. I'm too damn cold, got me shivering. Can't bite my style, so keep nibbling. Can't bite my style, so keep nibbling. Grandiloquent, grandiloquent. I'm too damn cold, got him shivering. Can't buy my style, so keep nibbling. Can't buy my style, so keep nibbling. Said I was only 15 when I saw the potential. Pulling poems in my pockets, it was driving me mental. Telling me to slow it down, we was keeping it simple. Till I hear the beat drop, then I pop like a pimple. And if I'm outside, I got the J's in my feet. You don't really want the beef, catch a fade in the street. Had to tell him they didn't need like I'm talking to Chief I only weigh a buck 40 But you know that I eat Damn, I'm kinda built like a toothpick Damn, but they just mad they can't do this Damn, and we just in it for the moment Damn, I'll probably kill him if I zone in Yeah, 2C drive fast Cameras and the lights flash Money coming hot So I'm calling it a spice rack Thick